Hey everyone, this is the Hopecast from Hope Church RVA. I'm Rachel Dawson and I am part of the communications team here at Hope. And I'm joined today by our senior pastor, David Dwight. We are here to have a conversation about some common questions in life and faith in under 30 minutes. And today's question is, what do we do with our shame and what does God do with it? So David, this is intriguing to me. I think so many times throughout scripture, we see this word shame. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel it often, even if we don't know that that's what it's called. Um, and it can be a hard thing to wrestle with, to navigate, to name even. So what would you even, maybe even just kind of begin with a definition of what shame is, maybe what it looks like in our lives. And mm. then can you share a little bit about what what can we do with that? What do we do with that? Mm. It's an interesting word, isn't it? <clears throat> um, if I am reading the airways like accurately, I sort of feel like in our culture today, we're wanting to eliminate the concept. Yeah. Like, let's make sure nobody feels any shame. Mm-hmm. Because somehow this concept has become so unsavory, so negative, let's make sure, like, let's eliminate it from human experience (laughs) and from the lexicon. Right. Um, We could eliminate it from the lexicon, but I don't think we can eliminate it from the human experience. Hmm. So uh, let's see if we can unpack this together. I'm going to guess that you've got some good insights on this too. Shame is a, it's, it's an emotional and psychological uh, internal feeling when we feel a wrongness or an embarrassment about ourselves mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And it's a, it's a complex thing. I think most often we tend to connect it to some behavior or some action, mm-hmm. like we did something or said something, mm-hmm. and we feel this sense of shame. Mm-hmm a kind of wrongness. As I'm talking, I'm wondering if shame has a complexity to it, which is um, pride, Mm. as if um, I'm so embarrassed I did that, like I'm above that. Mm -hmm. So many years ago, I remember reading an entry in one of uh, Francois Fenelon's devotions, and um, he was writing correspondence with a young man who he was discipling. Mm -hmm. And the young man apparently uh, confessed some kind of sin to him. And he kept sort of going on and on about how, um, you know, he felt bad that he had done this again. And what Fenelon responded with was something like, did you believe that you were above the capability of doing that. Mm. In other words, he's like, I think you're thinking too highly of yourself. Yeah. So is there some element of pride connected to shame? Like, mm-hmm. ooh, I'm above that. I shouldn't have done that. But even that's complex because there probably is a reasonable place to say, I should have the maturity or the character to not have done that. Right. A reasonable assessment. Yeah. On the other hand, there's probably a bit of a prideful assessment. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm I'm way above that. Um, and so I do think shame is sometimes connected to actions, Mm -hmm. words, perhaps imagine if, uh, all of our internal thoughts and attitudes were available for the whole world to see, Mm. it'd be awful. No, thank you. (laughs) The, um, the amount of exposure of the, of the negative thoughts and calculations and condemnations that are going through our mind all the time. 
um, perhaps about us, perhaps about other people. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh, it, it would be an ugly video. Yeah. Um, and yet, is there a place for shame, hmm. right? I think we've talked about this a bit sometime a while back. Um, I'm of a generation where it wasn't out of the question when you were a kid that if you did something wrong, your mom might have said you should be ashamed of yourself, hmm. right? In today's parenting vernacular, that sounds almost like horrifying. Um, but is there a place for it? Hmm. Um, where my head goes now is into like a courtroom. Hmm. And I'm not like one of these people that, that you know, follows uh, cases and courtroom stuff very closely, but I read the paper, right? And so occasionally there'll be some article about some significant court case or about somebody who did something really bad. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll hear the judge remark, it was their complete lack of contrition Mm. That was conspicuous. Right. A complete lack of regret or shame. These words maybe are cousins to one another. Mm -hmm. Like absolutely no remorse, Mm. no contrition, no apology, no shame, nothing. So interestingly, this sort of appears in a court of law sometimes as part of what happens when a judge is considering sentencing. Right. All right. Now, this is that's like legal stuff that's outside of my world, but um, but it is a psychological reality in our lives. Yeah. Whether we want to eliminate the word, it's a psychological reality in our lives, and the Bible speaks of it. The Psalms particularly speak about it. I even just looked up the definition of shame, wondering what other nuance there would be in the real dictionary definition. And it says, the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, et cetera, done by oneself or another. When I read that, I think there is some part of it that is reasonable and maybe even good and helpful for us Mm -hmm. that... If something has been dishonorable and it brings a sense of pain, there's a sense in which like that makes sense mm-hmm. and that is good. I think so much more of it and more of the nuance and more of what I'm looking forward to unpacking in this conversation is what do we do when we feel shame? Mm-hmm. What is it? What? How do we respond to it, react to it, process it, navigate it? Because I think that's where so much of it gets stuck and where we take what could be a helpful teaching tool or a a arrow pointing us to a better outcome and we kind of go astray with it. So mm-hmm. what what should we do with our shame mm-hmm. when we feel it? Yeah. Um, it's making me think of a couple of verses in the Bible and some ideas that are conveyed very early on. Um, mm-hmm. When Adam and Eve mm-hmm. turn away from God, um, they feel this uh, vulnerability and fear and shame. Um, God in his grace covers them. Um, Also early on in Genesis, because this phrase is quite conspicuous, it talks about God bringing the man and the woman together. And um, it says um, the man and the woman were naked and they felt no shame. And, like when I've taught this in our marriage weekends, we talk about this This nakedness is a full transparency. Mm-hmm. It's an emotional transparency. Yes, it's a physical transparency, and it's a spiritual transparency. Mm. And th- this is like this picture 
of God's heart for what the union of this marriage relationship would be. So it says they were naked and they felt no shame. Mm -hmm. So complete knowing without shame. Wow, how great, right? So just imagine most of us have this deep longing to be understood. Mm -hmm. I think most of us also live with some percentage inside of us feeling misunderstood. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel that people understand me. It makes me struggle to kind of find my place in the world. Mm. Um, It's a, it's a dislocation kind of a thing. Um, Okay. So then what we want is this idea of being fully known. Okay. But then quickly we're like, wait, you mean fully known? Like somebody who knows absolutely everything Mm -hmm. about me? Ooh, I'm not sure I want to be fully known. Okay. (laughs) Why? Because yeah. I'm afraid of rejection. Yeah. Why? Because somebody might know or discover some things in me that are not so pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So how beautiful then that the original design that God had for the relationship is completely fully known without shame. All right. Well, what if we could be completely fully known without shame? Um, yes, of course. Uh, a beautiful relationship, a rich, deep, beautiful friendship can make beautiful progress in this direction. Hopefully a great marriage can make beautiful progress in this direction. But we do have this sort of fear of rejection. Okay, what if God could know us fully and treat us without shame? Mm. Now we're getting into what I think is a very important biblical idea because God does know us fully. Mm. Ironically, this is a funny little sidebar, I tend to think that we're like, well, God doesn't know me the way I know me. No, actually, God knows us so much better than we know ourselves, which is a very hard idea for us to really embrace. Right. God truly, truly knows Rachel Dawson, mm-hmm. David Dwight, mm-hmm. far more deeply uh, in our moral side, our character side, our personality side. He knows us far, far more deeply, yeah. more transparently more exposedly, more everything. Far, far, he knows us far better than we know ourselves. It's just hard for us to think. It's a little disorienting. Like, really? Right. Absolutely has to be the case. And what does he do? He gives us grace. Mm -hmm. He gives us love. The Bible tells us in numerous places in the Psalms, he covers our shame. Mm -hmm. There are numerous gospel teachings where I think we see beautiful They may not be right there at first glance, but we can talk about them for a minute, of how Jesus covers people's shame. Mm -hmm. And covering someone's shame is a beautiful expression of grace. Yeah. Okay? But but is there ever a place for shame? I I think in the question of morality and character, yes. Hmm. If, If you or I or some other person does something that's really bad, it's reasonable, and can you say it right, that you should feel shame? We have a conscience. We're made as moral beings. Yeah. The question then is, what do we do with that? Right. Right. And so I think you, you were asking that. Probably the most natural psychological response that we would have would be to hide it, to yeah. brush it under the rug, and to wish it away. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is we probably won't grow. Right. In ways that are available if we would move into it. 
it calls to mind back to that courtroom picture. I think as you were talking about, you know, a judge maybe noticing somebody who doesn't feel remorse or regret, there's this lack of shame. I, it felt like that's, it's disturbing almost to see that, to see, mm-hmm. say it's somebody accused of murder or some, you know, really horrendous crime mm-hmm. for them to not feel bothered by mm-hmm. it is like, what? That's not, right. something's off there. Well, even this is disturbing terrain, but even, you know, sometimes it's like, that's when somebody is described almost like a monster, mm-hmm. you know, just think of literary stuff or history reading And like a person who does this level of horror and has no moral remorse for it, that's when people are like, he's some kind of a monster. Like he's just not human. Right. Something is dramatically missing. Yeah. It calls to mind that there's something about- It's a hard word to use, but- It is. And I feel like when you talk about shame, there's a sense that it's a human emotion and it feels like feeling it humanizes you in a way that is, um, I don't know, it just puts- a heart in people. And it's yeah. almost a sense in which you, I remember as a kid, right? You, there's things happening. You feel bad about it. And my, I remember my mom encouraging us at different times, like, yeah, you, it's okay that you feel sad. This is just shows that you care deeply or that you right. love, or you feel the sense of right and wrong. And you're engaging right. with that, that right. good. Like, right. good. It's a good thing. Right. So what should we do with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, or how do we, the word that's coming to mind, I want to say is overcome it. I'm not sure that's the best word, but how, how do we deal with that? We can either brush it under the rug, wish it away, hide it, which is the most natural tendency to do from a psychological standpoint, Um, or we can move into it. Mm -hmm. You know this, right? Lots of counseling and psychology says the way out is through. Yep. You got to go in there. If If you want to come out of this, a, a better, healthier person with a healthier foundation, character, and makeup, the way out is through. Mm -hmm. All right, so it's almost like now for a Christian, what would our prayers look like when we feel shame? Hmm. I think it would be breathtakingly honest. It's not for everybody's ears, but it is for us to talk about with God. Mm -hmm. God, this is what I feel. This is what I feel embarrassed about. This is what I fear in it. This is where I this is what I know that I did. This is what I perceive my motive in doing it was. All of which makes me feel this deep sense of shame. Would you meet with me in the midst of this? Hmm. Would you speak to me about the places in my life that are character deficits that need healing? Sometimes they are moral deficits. Mm -hmm. Other times they're just uh, vacant places. And so, God, would you meet me in these places? Mm. Would you hold me so close to you that knowing I don't have to fear rejection from you, but still having a little piece of me that does fear it, but knowing I don't have to, would you walk with me into the healing to bring this fully into the light of your love and your grace so that I can address it? so that you can meet with me about those places in me that need healing and growth, and so I can become a person who is being made more beautiful in the way of the gospel, all of which is as compared to, let's hide it and not pay attention to it. Yeah. It's calling to mind, we've talked about this analogy at times over the years, and I love it, this idea of kintsugi pottery and these broken shards and 
I think we, it's an easy example, right? You drop a beautiful vase, maybe it's an heirloom, something, you know, you can picture it, right? And it's shattered pieces and you might just want to like sweep it up, throw it away. And there's just kind of a, that feels like a, a loss and it, it doesn't fix anything. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't feel better. The thing is just gone. It's missing. It's broken. There's not this kind of restoration, mm-hmm. but there's almost, I just have, I'm picturing this really beautiful, like bringing all of these shards of mm-hmm. something that's been broken and shattered and might mm-hmm. be in crumbs mm-hmm. to the Lord. And there's this like beautiful, when you mm-hmm. said you don't want to just can overcome it, it's like, it's transforming it. Yes. It's taking these broken shards and in Kintsugi pottery, that's this weaving of gold in between these shards. And the outcome is so much more beautiful right. than what it was to begin with. And that is such a picture of what we're talking yes. about to me. Well, and for another day, um, that also makes me think, how are we at allowing another person to mm-hmm. do that? Right. So that's going to get into things like forgiveness and all kinds of stuff. But could I? Could you run into a person who the last time your life interacted with them was maybe 10 years ago, and they were a creep, a jerk, whatever, and run into them now, have a brief conversation, the immediate things that would come up would be like, I don't trust you, I don't like you, those would be the immediate psychological reactions, but maybe just some little window opens and you begin to talk, and the person tries to describe to you, I think I'm a different person than the one you knew 10 years ago, right? And we're going to have all kinds of internal hiccups and hurdles that are going on inside of us. But it, again, for another day, could I accept that Kintsugi work in another mm. person? That's another story about forgiveness. Yeah. Okay, so um, two stories in the Bible that we talked about a bit before we came on. One is the story of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. And um, I won't tell the whole story. Um, probably a lot of listeners will know it. This is in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells this parable. Uh, a father had two sons. Okay, This is a patriarchal society. Family is everything. Uh, loyalty to your father and to the family is everything. It's village life. Everybody knows everybody. And in this village, the younger son tells his father, give me my inheritance, which means drop dead. I don't care about you. I just want what you can give me Mm -hmm. and let me go do my own thing. He goes and he does his own thing. So the father has now got this son who basically said to him, drop dead. I don't care about you. Just give me my inheritance and let me go do my own thing without you. Right? Mm -hmm. Of course, there's just so much God and humanity in the story. So... Everybody in the village would be saying about this father, the son completely took advantage of him. The father needs to take him out to the woodshed and beat him red and the whole bit. Um, and so the story goes that the father is uh, sees the son coming far off in the distance. The son's been through, let's just call it, son's been through hell. He's ruined his life. He's fouled it up in a million ways. And he's coming home. He knows I have no other option if I want to live but to go back to my father. He knows he's going to face the shame of the elders at the village gate. They're going to scorn him, mock him, and all of that. But he's just going to have to plow through that shame if he wants to live. He's just going to have to deal with it. And so the way the story unfolds is the father sees him off in the like in the horizon in the distance. So the father runs out through the gates of the village, and he runs off into the far distance, and he meets him. When he comes home now, comes into the village gates— that shame that all the elders and all that moral shame that everybody in the village would have poured on the son, 
The father is saying, this is my son. He's home again. Mm -hmm. This is my son whom I love. Now, all that shame is going to get poured on the father. I can't believe that you have allowed this kid to take advantage of you. Do you know that doing this is going to undermine the moral code of centuries of our village life? Do you know how destructive this is? Do you know how much he deserves to be flogged and you're giving him a hug and a robe? And so there's a shame transfer. So the father runs out of the village. It's a very important part of the story. Comes home basically with his arm around his son. Inseparable. You can't look at my son and not treat him except that my arms are around him. So now the shame is projected onto the father. Mm -hmm. As Jesus tells the story, the father figure, who is the God figure in the story, takes the shame off the son and restores the son. Mm -hmm. Now, if if that kid has really been through the depths of depravity and hardship, mm -hmm. he will live the rest of his life grateful that his father has loved him with this kind of love. Mm -hmm. He will regret what he did. He now has a different perspective of life. He sees it all very differently. Yeah. But whatever it was a year, two years prior, he was younger and stupider and more full of himself and more rebellious. Mm -hmm. And he will be thanking his father for the rest of his life. It'll be a life of gratitude. Yeah. Every time I get into that story, it makes me emotional. Mm -hmm. Another one like it is um, in John chapter 8. A woman is caught in adultery. The religious leaders bring him to Jesus. There's tons of context here that makes the story electrifying, and I won't go into all of it. But effectively, they're standing a woman here in front of a bunch of guys. She was caught in adultery. I can't tell the story except say, where was the man she was with? Because if she was caught in adultery, he was involved in adultery too, but apparently he doesn't matter. It's just her we're going to deal with. Okay, that's another story. Mm -hmm. But apparently, mm -hmm. I don't know what. He gets off the hook or he's one of them or whatever. So there's an injustice in it that's very bothersome to me. But anyway, that's part of why the story is electrifying. So she's standing there um, exposed, certainly um, morally, if not even more than that. We have no idea. And she's standing there. So um, when this is coming along, the, the leaders want to create an uproar because they want the Romans to um, squelch Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so the first question the Romans are going to ask if they have an uproar is, who started this? So Jesus' response to them is, let you, any of you here, your, her accusers, any of you who have no sin, you throw the first stone because stoning to death would have been the penalty for adultery, right? Mm -hmm. So he says, you have no sin, cast the first stone. The emphasis on the first stone is very important because the Romans would have said, who started this? Mm -hmm. So when Jesus has the genius to speak into that awful unjust thing that's developed and say, you without sin, cast the first stone, because guess what? The Romans are going to take care of you because you started the, the riot. Mm -hmm. um, the genius of it is breathtaking to me. But what's happening is they're identifying her as a unique sinner. Jesus says, hey, let's see who the unique sinner is. All of you guys, of course, you're sinless, right? So mm -hmm. you have no faults, right? So we're just going to focus on this woman, right? And so go ahead and stone her. Mm -hmm. The one of you has no sin, cast a first stone. Um, and so what's happened amazingly is in that story, her shame 
in many respects, gets transferred back on her accusers. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus removes the shame from her. Of course, in the end, he's the shame remover. He redirects it. Mm-hmm. He intercedes in the situation and redirects it. And then the shame goes back on her accusers, which is incredible given the injustice of the whole thing. And Jesus like rebounds this thing on these guys. It's unbelievable. But then they all leave. And then he's standing there with her. Mm-hmm. Now what happens? I've always thought, oh my gosh, what a poignant moment. Yeah. He relieves her of condemnation. Remember, so it's very important what he says. He says, who of them condemns you? And she says, none, sir. Then he says, neither do I condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's not condemning her. Mm-hmm. He's not laying shame on her. He's relieved the shame. But he is directing her to move away from a life that is um, dishonoring God's holiness, diminishing her life and her value and dignity as a human being, and saying, don't do that. Leave that life and move into a life of health Mm -hmm. and union with God. Mm -hmm. Of course, we talked about this. We have a very hard time saying, I don't condemn you, but stop sinning. I don't think our modern American culture has the dexterity to be able to do that. You can see it in the culture all around us. If you disagree with me, you're my enemy. I hate you. If you disagree with me, you're a hater. None of that. In Jesus' case, I don't condemn you, but stop sinning for the reasons that we talked about. In both cases, he removes shame. Mm -hmm. He is the source of the shame removal. Mm -hmm. Um, So the final arc of this would be, if you're a Christian, if, if if you sincerely receive Christ as Lord and Savior, hopefully with a growing sense of what that means, right? We're all on a journey. Um, He has removed your shame. Now, how will we grow and flourish since the biblical word is he's justified us? Hmm. We no longer have to keep working through these inner cycles of Mm self-punishment, negativity. In a sense, we are now like a plant that is delicate and needs just the right conditions to grow, let's call it a human being is a delicate plant and needs just the right conditions to flourish, right soil, right air, right sunlight, right water. And Jesus has justified us, meaning he has put us in just the right conditions now. So will I begin to flourish in those right conditions? Um, Many of us struggle with that for a host of reasons, many of which are quite understandable. Mm -hmm. But now that we have this peace with God, we've been planted in just the right conditions. Mm. Now that we know that God is for us, can I begin to flourish in this life where he's removed my shame? Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do. It's multi-layered. Yeah. It's beautiful, though. I think the invitation and in all of that is is striking and remarkable. I think, like you said, it's so countercultural. I think we see it if in Genesis in the very beginning, right? They feel shame and they run. And that's so um, in us, I think, to do. But I'm so struck by the ways that um, in the prodigal son story, I've always loved the the line of when he was still a long way off, that we, even when we are still a long way off, the father is running toward us and with open arms and ready to throw a banquet. And that's just such a beautiful and like you said, an emotional story to be reminded of that even in the places where we feel shame, where we have done wrong or wrong has been done to us, um, the heart of the father is one that is for us and running toward us, even if we're still stuck in it, still a long way off, still got the stench of it on us like that son probably did from the pig's eye. Um, right. But there's this beautiful picture 
of of God's heart for us in that. Maybe a subsequent podcast would be something like really growing into what, how do we live if we really believe that God is for us? Mm. That'd be cool. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, thank you so much for listening today. Thanks, we, everybody. We invite you to subscribe to the Hopecast in your favorite podcast app and share this episode with a friend if you found it encouraging or just want to start a conversation. If you want to learn more about hope and who we are, you can find us at hopechurchrva.com, and we hope you'll join us for the next one. Mm-hmm.